One year, Pesach, the first night of Pesach, after the Seder, the Baal Shem Tev and his students that were with him went out for a walk. We could only imagine what it was like for the Baal Shem Tev and his students by the Seder, Lel Pesach, leaving all Egypts, all supernal Egypts, the highest levels of redemption, of freedom, radical spiritual freedom. After that totally spiritual, otherworldly experience, the Baal Shem Tev and his students wanted to go for a walk to get some fresh air. And so they went outside, and as was told by some of the students that were there, they were almost shocked to see that the world, that Olam Haza was still there, that the regular mundane day-to-day world was still there the way they had left it. So they had such an experience, such a radical, transformative experience by the Seder, that when they went outside and saw the world as it was, a regular world, they were almost shocked. But they walked together with the Baal Shem Tev. And as they're walking, all of a sudden they saw a couple of Gentiles, a couple of non-Jew peasants coming from the other direction. And they heard one of the non-Jews say to the other, as they're looking at the holy Baal Shem Tev and the students on the night of Pesach after the Seder, as they're coming from the other direction, one peasant says to the other, be careful, don't touch the dirty, impure Jew. <laughs> they said about the Baal Shem Tev and his students, be careful, careful not to touch the Jews, the impure, dirty Jews. And the Baal Shem Tev, upon hearing that, said that this is the deepest meaning of what the Pasuk says. In the prophecy of Bilam, when God put prophecy in the mouth of one of our earliest enemies, Bilam, Hain am levodoid yishkoin ubagoyim loyis chashav. Alas, this will be a nation that will always dwell alone and will never be yishashav, will never be counted, important, respected among the other nations. Back then already in the desert, Bilam saw the Jewish people and said that this nation will always dwell alone, will always be the quintessential other, the different one. The non-Jew looked at the Baal Shem Tev, the holy radiant Baal Shem Tev, and said, be careful, a dirty, impure Jew. And so to throughout the generations, no matter how much Jews have contributed to society, there have been those that their hatred of Jews has been to the point of obsession in an irrational way. Obviously for all of us, one of the most difficult and concerning things that is playing out now in this historical situation that God is unfolding before us, one of the most difficult things is this anti-Semitism that has blatantly expressed itself all of a sudden all around us that we all believed or we were led to believe or we led ourselves to believe that anti-Semitism, the type of hatred that we read about in the books, that the Torah speaks about, that our grandparents suffered from in Auschwitz, we thought it was gone. But it's so embedded in some of these people, we have to understand this isn't an aberration. It might be that the masks are all coming off now. But this deep hatred that our enemies have to us has always been there. You know, for years already, I've always been 
asking about the progressive movement that's dissolving before our eyes right now. From its mask of social justice to see that it's just nothing other than a particular political agenda. For years I've been asking that they speak so much about the oppressed, the marginalized, the victimized. What nation historically has been the most oppressed, marginalized, and victimized like the Jewish people? I'm certainly, God forbid, not belittling the hundreds of years of slavery that African Americans endured and the decades of systemic racism as a result of that. I'm not belittling their suffering at all, but the Jews have been oppressed, marginalized, and victimized for 2,000 years. Why doesn't our victimhood count? And you know, for already years, I've been feeling unsafe because of the way that I look outwardly Jewish. I've been feeling unsafe. And now, unfortunately, many Jews are feeling that. There are many Jews, tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, if not millions of Jews that are feeling more Jewish now than they've ever felt before in their lives. Which isn't a bad thing. It's just said that it had to come through this situation that we are living through. You know, the Lubavitcher Rebbe of blessed memory wanted so badly to awaken everyone's feeling of Jewishness through ways of love and peace and beauty. But unfortunately, throughout history, so many times it had to be specifically the hatred of those that wouldn't allow us to assimilate, wouldn't allow us to become part of the society that we tried so often to become part of. It was the hatred and rejection of them that unfortunately so often brought about so many Jews to recognize their Judaism. I mean, the whole Zionist movement began through Theodor Herzl understanding that if a soldier like Dreyfus, a Jew who had made it to the highest level in French society, was able to be so victimized, then he understood that there can't be a place for the Jews in exile, which he was right about, his... Zionist idea that if we would have our own homeland, then we would be safe. Of course, as we see playing before our eyes, that's obviously wrong. Until Mashiach comes, we're always going to be like a sheep among 70 wolves, and without Hashem's supernatural help, we couldn't survive. Like our beautiful soldiers are showing us in all the videos as they sing for Hashem's help as they go to battle. Because essentially, the real Jewish problem that is so hard for us to accept, such a hard pill for us to swallow, is that there are millions of people in the world that we've never met that just want to kill us for being Jewish. And you know, we're right before Mashiach is about to come. We're at the step right before redemption, which of course is what we're hoping, we're praying that this is all about. And of course, when Mashiach comes, we're not going to be alone anymore. Bilam said that Hinam in a nation that dwells alone, but today, Baruch Hashem, thank God, we don't dwell alone. There are many, many, many nations and Gentiles that support us. The majority of the normal civilized world support us. It will not be a replay of nineteen forty two. We're not gonna go back to Auschwitz. And there are gonna be many people that are gonna make sure with us. Because, you know, when Mashiach comes, many nations, as the prophet Yeshaya says, are going to ascend with us to the, the house of God, the mountain of the Lord, to Jerusalem. And those nations now are showing who they are, the ones that support us, that can't 
understand how could it be that there are some people, they're as shocked as we are. How could it be there are some people that their hatred of us is so irrational that they call for the extermination of who we are, these same people who would cry if you get their pronouns wrong. These same people that speak about social justice and microaggressions call for our extermination. So the nations, our friends, that are going to ascend with us to the mountain of the Lord, they don't understand. How could this be? And many of us can't understand it, but the answer is, like the story from the Baal Shem Tov, that there are some people, our enemies, that their hatred of the Jewish people is so deep. It's such an inherent part of who they are. It's not something that could be explained rationally. Like the story of the Baal Shem Tov. But you know, it didn't start with the Baal Shem Tov. It didn't start in Europe with the pogroms. You know, the Sefer Kuzari. We're all familiar with the Sefer Kuzari from Yebihuda HaLevi. About the disputation of the king of the Khazars wanting to convert, not knowing which religion to convert to. And the rabbi, the Chacham, showing him the truth, the authenticity, the beauty of Judaism, etc. We're all familiar with the book Kuzari with the title Kuzari named after the nation of the Khazars, but in Arabic, the original title that Rabbi Yehuda Halevi in 12th century Spain, when Jews were fully assimilated into Spanish society. The original title that Rabbi Yehuda Halevi gave to the book was, in Arabic, In Defense of the Despised Faith. The Despised Faith. In the golden age of Spain, a medieval enlightened society, the Jews were already despised, a nation that dwells alone. And of course, one of the main causes of that anti-Semitism, how much darkness came to our people because of Christianity and the Catholic Church especially. They made hating Jews state-sponsored, religion-sponsored. They made it into their theology. Which, by the way, parenthetically, we have to, we have to recognize that also as a preparation for Mashiach. Since 1965, since Vatican II, when the Catholic Church, so many Christian congregations changed their perception of the Jewish people being faithful to the words of the Bible, that the nation Israel, that we are God's chosen nation. Yes, there are many holy, special people among the nations, among the Gentiles, who have deep connections with God. And as Maimonides himself says, that any non-Jew among the nations that dedicates their life to pursue God is Kodesh Kadashim is holy of holies, but there's only one nation that was destined to be an entire nation of priests, an entire nation that was called upon to be holy. That's the Jewish people. And so the Catholic Church went through a biru and a tikkun, and they recognized that our covenant with God has never been, can never be b- broken, and so to so many Christian communities. But yes, for centuries and centuries... Our ancestors were slaughtered, butchered, raped, and burned alive, not just under the Muslim crescent, but also under the cross. And none of us have the ability, the audacity, or the desire to forgive all that blood that was spilled, and God certainly will not forgive. Like we say every Shabbos morning in the Avarachamim, the prayer about those that were killed. That God says that even when eventually He will forgive all the sins 
of all humanity, he will never forgive those that spilled blood of Jews. The Lord of Vengeance will avenge in a way that only God can those that spilled our blood, every single drop of Jewish blood. God will avenge. So although Maimonides the Rambam says clearly that Christianity and Islam are part of preparing the world for Mashiach, and many non-Jews, Christians, Catholics, Muslims, and many others from other nations, other religions, will ascend with us to greet Mashiach to the mountain of the Lord, to the third temple. That's part of our redemption, as the prophets said, that the nations will come with us. But for many centuries, those that belong to those religions brought about such anti-Semitism to the world. But the truth is that the hatred of Jews didn't even begin with Christianity because during the Greek Empire, the Roman Empire, which preceded Christianity, there was persecution of Jews. Already in Egypt, the Torah says, Vayakutsu mipnei b'nei Yisrael. They were disgusted by the Jewish people in ancient Egypt. That's why they enslaved us. They made up a whole reason that made, like we say in the Haggadah, they made up a whole reason, that maybe the Jews will politically overtake us and they'll chase us out of the land the Egyptians were, so to speak, afraid, which of course was nonsense. Throughout the centuries, all our enemies have always made up reasons for why they hated us to, so to speak, justify why they hated us. And all of the reasons were nonsense. It's like, you know, the Dubna Magid was asked once how he was able to make such, such perfect mishalim, how he could make such perfect parables. So he said it's like the archer that was an expert archer that could shoot an arrow and always, always hit the exact middle point. And they asked, how does he do it? He says, very simple. He shoots the arrow first, and then he draws the circles around the arrow. So our enemies have, want to get to the point, the bottom line is that they hate the Jews and they'll have all sorts of circles that draw all sorts of explanations of why. Political reasons, there were those that hated us, said that we're communists, some said that we were capitalists, some hated us as socialists, some hate us as Zionists, some hate us as the people that brought morality to the world. Some people say they hate us because we bring immorality to Hollywood and to the world. Or some people hate us because we're parasites of society. And then the same people would say that we also run society, that we run the world. I, I often say I wish those anti-Semites that speak about the Jews having all the money, I wish I could show them my bank account. So they make up all this nonsense, these nonsensical reasons to justify, so to speak, their hatred of us because they themselves don't understand where is it coming from. They also try to rationalize this hatred of us. They rationalize by all sorts of ridiculous philosophical speculations of identity politics and stuff like that, that it's okay to make Jewish students feel fearful of their lives on a college campus. The same people that preached about safe spaces that brought safe spaces to the world. We wonder at so much of the international community and the media that is so blatantly hypocritical and biased and frankly anti-Semitic to the extent of being irrational, of, you know, everyone's crying about the Palestinians and I cry too about innocent civilians that die, of course. 
But you know how many innocent civilians are being killed, Muslims being killed in Yemen in the civil war over the past couple of years? You know how many millions of people died of starvation? Why aren't they crying about them? It's all excuses for anti-Semitism. It's first shooting the arrow and then drawing the circles. There have been many attempts to explain where does this anti-Semitism, where does this Jew hatred, this irrational Jew hatred come from? What's been called the world's oldest hatred. Where does it come from? It precedes Christianity. The Egyptians already despised us. We have to understand that it is a supernatural, super-rational hatred. It, I believe, is one of the many things that prove the truth of Torah. The fact that there are so many millions of people that want to kill us for no reason other than the fact we're Jewish. You don't have any other nation like that in the world. That itself shows you what the Torah says, how special of a nation we are. What other nation in the world could be to- would ever be told to cease fire against people that are saying that they want to exterminate, kill us? They proved it a couple of, week- couple of weeks ago. And they're still saying it. One of the representatives said a day or two ago that they're planning to do October 7th again and again. And yet the world wants us to cease fire and allow ourselves be killed. As Dara Horn correctly called her one of her most recent books, People Love Dead Jews, we're supposed to be the victim. We're expected to be the victim. We're expected to be the ones that it's okay to kill us. And people don't even feel that bias, it's so irrational. And the hatred is so deep that they don't even allow us to be victims. Because by nature, a victim you have compassion for. A person that's a victim, by nature, a human being has compassion for someone that's a victim. Teferis Rachamim is the Kavim Tzoy, is the middle the middle column like the Kabbalah teaches. So compassion makes a connection even to somebody that might be your enemy. So compassion makes you feel bad for somebody like a normal person feels bad for Palestinian children that are dying. Just like I feel bad for German children that were killed in World War II, that were born into families of wicked people. So compassion makes you feel a certain connection to the person you're feeling bad with. And therefore our enemies can't even allow that feeling of compassion. Therefore they deny us being victims. For years I used to wonder, and I'm sure I'm not the only one, I used to wonder, how could you deny the Holocaust? How could you possibly deny the Holocaust? My grandmother was in Auschwitz. Her, she saw Mengele send her parents to the gas chambers. She came on the cattle car. How could you deny something that we, we experienced? But now look, the world is trying to deny what happened three weeks ago. They're asking for more and more pictures and more and more proof, which of course is coming from an insatiable desire to see spilled Jewish blood from that irrational hatred. But they can't, they, they victimize us and then don't allow us to be the victims. They hate us so much that they don't even want us to, we're not even deserving of compassion for the sins and the pains that they inflict upon us. This is the understanding of why Holocaust denial came into the world, why there's so much Holocaust denial or denial of what took place just a few weeks ago. We're not human enough in their eyes to deserve compassion. They don't want that there should even be compassion for us, and therefore even after victimizing us, they deny that we are a victim. And of course, there's another reason that 
they can't, our enemies can't allow us to be victims because the truth is, as a whole, the Jewish people, no matter how many times throughout the centuries we've been expelled, persecuted, exterminated, etc., etc., we have been very successful in every single society we've been a part of. It's hard for them to see us as victims because we refuse to stay in the victim status. We don't spend decades in refugee camps. When our grandparents got out of the real concentration camps, not like our enemies call everything a concentration camp, they just spent a couple of weeks in refugee camps. Then they got up right away. They picked themselves up by their bootstraps and they started life again. And they rebuilt in America, the generation, the heroic generation that survived the Holocaust that unfortunately is no longer with us. They rebuilt Judaism in America, financially, emotionally, and spiritually. And therefore, we don't seem like victims. 75 years ago, they were throwing us in gas chambers. And yes, for the most part, we have been successful. And so it's been in every society we've always been in. And therefore, that's why they think that must be we have some kind of secret plot secret way we're running the world, how else could we be so successful? Of course, the reason that we're so successful is because the Torah itself says in Parshas Veschanon, Ki am that the nations will say this smart, brilliant nation, the Jewish people, the Torah says we're a smart nation, and thereby also a successful nation, a resilient nation that was able to rebuild and has always been able to rebuild ourselves no matter what our enemies have given to us. And that's why also, you know, that's one of the reasons, because again, there have been so many that have tried to explain over the generations, over the centuries, what's the reason, the rational, some kind of understanding of this Jew hatred. So one of the other reasons given, there's a very beautiful essay written by the great Mark Twain. Mark Twain, right after the Civil War, wrote an essay called Concerning the Jews. It's a worthwhile read. It's not very long. It's available online. And the point of this essay was exactly this idea that we're trying to talk about, which is he was asking Mark Twain, why has the Jew always historically been so hated and persecuted? And as he himself explains that he was a witness, he had visited in the end of the 19th century the Austro-Hungarian Empire, and the Habsburg dynasty was using the Jews as the scapegoats. They needed to unify their different subjects along their vast empire of Austria, Hungary, etc. And so the way that they decided they would unite their subjects was through Jew hatred. They briled up anti-Semitism literally to unify their subjects. And so Mark Twain witnessed that. And so he asked, why has the Jew always been a scapegoat? Why? And he says, we've been good citizens. Generally, the Jews have been good citizens in every culture that we've been in, in every society we've been in. Admittedly, of course, like any people, Jews are human also. And we've had a fair share of criminals, even monsters, Madoff, Jeffrey Epstein, Sackler. But for the most part, we've been law-abiding citizens that have contributed to societies in all areas, and so Mark Twain was asked, being asked, is there anything we could do to possibly stop the hatred? And what, where is it coming from? And Mark Twain's thesis, his explanation, is that the hatred has always, always been coming from jealousy. Pure jealousy. 
He writes that one of the things that they when he was he asked some of the anti semites why they hate Jews so much, and they said that eighty five percent of all the lawyers in Vienna were Jews <laughs> because they've been they were successful back then too because the Torah tells us we're a smart nation. And therefore, so often, our neighbors, even after oppressing us, couldn't compete with us, with our success. Of course, it's again ridiculous to stereotype an entire people based on the fact that there are successful Jews. There are plenty of Jews that are not successful. There are plenty of Jews that can't afford to pay the rent or the mortgage. There are plenty of Jews that unfortunately have not been able to leave the role of being a victim, that have been so traumatized by what they've been through in life personally, or as all of us as Jews, thousands of years of trauma, intergenerational trauma, even on those that are not Holocaust survivors, grandchildren, it's in our collective consciousness. How many times have we been laughed at over the past years that we always talk about the Holocaust, we're paranoid, they're out to get us, but then we see now they're out to get us. So we are all victims in some way, but even so, for the most part, we have been successful throughout the generations. So Mark Twain's thesis is that Jew hatred comes because of our success. But to be very honest with you, I mean, I've been jealous with people in my life. I've been jealous before of people. I didn't want to burn them alive or chop their heads off. I also didn't want to demonstrate in the streets against them and rip off posters of their children that are held hostage. How much hatred there has to be for that? How could that just be from jealousy? And again, throughout the generations, you've had many times that they hated us. The circle that they did around the arrow, their reason, so to speak, for hating us, was because we were poor and refugees and dirty and in shtetls and, you know, that we didn't have money, that we were parasites. So it can't just be from jealousy over financial success. So where is this Jew hatred coming from? So the Gemara already says... The Gemara says, why is Har Sinai called Har Sinai? You know, everyone knows Mount Sinai. Where does the word Sinai, Sinai come from? Why is that mountain upon which the Torah is given called Har Sinai? So Chazal says, That from the time of Sinai, from our encounter with God at Sinai, an irrational, supernatural hatred of Jews that the Egyptians had spread out to all the other nations of the world. The Egyptians, of course, were the general gullus that contained all exiles. Again, not all Gentiles. Many, many righteous Gentiles that are alive throughout the generations and, and even more alive today. As, as we said, we're about, we're about to go to Mashiach and there will be many nations that will go with us. But implanted within the hearts and souls of many of these people is a hatred that came down at Sinai because at Sinai God chose us as His nation. You chose us from among all the other nations. When was that? It was our Sinai. Har Sinai was, so to speak, the moment in time when God chose us as his nation. Even though, according to Chassidus, the choosing comes from a place in God's essence that's above space and time, but that's when it came down within the world, that choosing into time and space. From Sinai came the hatred that we're all experiencing now, that we're all feeling now in our kishkas. Because at Sinai, Hashem said You are going to be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation, God's nation. 
which of course is not to say that among the other nations, the Gentile nations, there are many righteous people that are connected to God, like the Rambam said, holy of holies. Millions of them throughout the generations and alive today, even more today, as we said, we're about to go to Mashiach and we see how many nations, civilized nations of the world are standing with us. So there are many Gentiles that are and have been holy, that they choose to be holy. But there's only one nation where every single man, woman, and child was commanded to be holy. There's no such thing by Jews as a priestly class. Priests were all, every single one of us was told to be a priest of God. Every single one of us was commanded by God to be Kaddish, to be holy, a holy nation, an Am Kaddish. We all have to be holy, or at least try to. It's not a choice for us, because we are God's nation. Since Sinai, we are God's nation, and that's what they're jealous of. And many of them aren't aware consciously of where that hatred is coming from. They don't, they're not, they don't feel that jealousy consciously. It's coming from a place in their soul that's much deeper than that. Many of them, if not most of them, don't even believe in God. But our enemies with whom we have a war now very much do. It's important also to remember this fight that's going on now, this war is a continuation of the war that started, the jealousy, the competition that started since the time of Yitzchak and Yishmael. We have to bear in mind that for them, this is a holy war. This is a war about which religion is right. They say as they're murdering and raping and burning, how many times we've seen these disgusting in the videos, Allah Akbar, Allah Akbar, Allah Akbar, God is great, God is great. There's an essential worldview difference between us. You know, when it comes to the Christians, there's nothing in the New Testament that contradicts our Torah, Lahavdil. The New Testament is a continuation of our Bible, of, of our Tanakh, Lahavdil. The anti-Semitism that comes from the Christian religion is from the church fathers, how they interpreted certain ideas in the New Testament. But if you read the New Testament itself, it doesn't contradict our Torah. But when it comes to the Quran, the Quran and Torah are two completely opposing outlooks, two different approaches to history. Two different approaches to who the land belongs to. You know, in the Quran it says that when Avram did the Akedah, he brought Yishmael on the Akedah. The Quran says that there was the binding of Yishmael. The Quran and our Torah contradict each other. Which is not to say, Khalila, that we can't get along with Muslims. Throughout the centuries we did, there were many centuries that we did get along with Muslims, sometimes a lot better than Christians. But these people now are fighting a holy war, so we have to know that it's a fight over Torah. They do believe in God, but we also, in the millions and millions of people around the world where their hatred is not coming from something theological, ideological. Many of them don't believe in God at all. Where is this hatred coming from? That's from Sinai. We have to meditate on that hatred. We have to see that hatred as another way to, to see Hashem in the world. Because when you're seeing this hatred of these millions of people that have no reason, why do they hate us so much? Why do they want to kill us? It's because of Sinai. You're seeing something supernatural, even miraculous. You're seeing godliness in the world. You're seeing the truth of Hamavdu ben Kodesh Luchol ben Yisrael Amin. You're seeing the affirmation of the Nitzchis, of the eternal truth of Torah, that when the Torah says we have enemies, we didn't really believe it until now. Enemies. 
such a hard pill for us to swallow. Why do these people hate us? Why do they hate us so much? And throughout the generations, there have been many Jews that have done so much to try to get the Goyim to love us. How about these people marching even now? Jews for ceasefire. I'm not going to comment. But there's so many Jews that have been trying to get the Goyim to love us and they still hate us no matter what. Why? You're seeing the truth of the Torah. You're seeing the authenticity, the nitzchias, the eternity of the Torah, how true it is that there will always be enemies of the Jewish people. Enemies! When you get frustrated from this anti-Semitism, when you get scared by it, use it instead as a vehicle to feel the truth of Torah. Look, what the Torah says is true. We'll always have enemies. And it's a deep hatred. It's coming from something internal. In that, Netanyahu is right. This is a battle of or and choshech, of light and darkness. We're all wondering, what are these progressive woke people here in America, these LGBT people that would be slaughtered, what are they, if they would go to Gaza, what do they have in common? Why do they love Hamas so much? What, what connects these people here in America or around the world that hate us, that they support Hamas? They're, so, they're seemingly more different than them than we are. What connects them? The answer is that they're all agents of darkness. They can't stand the Jewish people who's supposed to be the Orlegoim, the light unto the nations. They're those supernatural aspects of the nations that are agents of darkness. It doesn't matter whether they're carrying a machine gun in Gaza or a poster from the river to the sea on some street corner and anywhere else in the world or carrying a sign for social justice for Palestinians on a college campus. They all have in common that they're agents of darkness. What connects them is that they hate Jews. They're our antithesis, their darkness. And therefore they hate us so much. The nation that's supposed to be the light unto the nations, the Orlogoyim. When you see that hatred, you're seeing something supernatural. Something that also testifies not just to the eternity of Torah, but to the eternity of the Jewish people. That we are, this is our generation's moment, that we're connecting with all generations before us, that when we read the Haggadah, this is our generation's time that we're experiencing that. As long as there will be a nation of God and Mashiach has not yet come, there will be the children of darkness that will hate us and fight us with many different manifestations and excuses, but they all have in common that they're the nigud, the antithesis, the le'umaze of the Jewish people. In the cosmic, cataclysmic, historical battle of darkness and light, the Jewish people are the ultimate quintessential agents of light, or lagoyim, light unto the nations, and they are the quintessential agents of darkness. That's where this hatred comes from. That hatred should inspire us to know that it's because we're God's people. It's because Sinai brought to the world an eternal, despised Jewish nation. It's because of that, that's why they hate us. We should be inspired by it to be better Jews, be more proud to be Jewish. As we see, in fact, happening by so many Jews that their pride is coming, dafka from that hatred, because that darkness makes our light shine brighter. The more that they try to extinguish our light, 
the more that they try to make the darkness stronger, our Jewish light shines brighter. And I want to conclude getting back to that essay from Mark Twain concerning the Jews. The last paragraph of that essay is very famous, and it's worth quoting. If the statistics are right, the Jews constitute but 1% of the human race. It suggests a nebulous dim puff of stardust lost in the blaze of the Milky Way. Properly, the Jew ought hardly to be ever have heard of, but he is heard of, has always been heard of. He is as prominent on the planet as any other people, and his commercial importance is extravagantly out of proportion to the smallness of his bulk. His contributions to the world's list of great names in literature, science, art, music, finance, medicine, and philosophical learning are also way out of proportion to the weakness of his numbers. He has made a marvelous fight in this world, in all the ages, and has done it with his hands tied behind him. He could be vain of himself and be excused for it. The Egyptian, the Babylonian, and the Persian rose, filled the planet with sound and splendor, then faded to dream stuff and passed away. The Greek and the Roman followed and made a vast noise, and they are gone. Other peoples have sprung up and held their torch high for a time, but it burned out and they sit in twilight now, or have vanished. The Jew saw them all, beat them all, and is now what he always was, exhibiting no decadence, no infirmities of age, no weakening of his parts, no slowing of his energies, no dulling of his alert and aggressive mind. All things are mortal, but the Jew... All other forces pass, but he remains. What is the secret of his immortality? The continued existence of the Jewish people is the greatest riddle for historians. We should have died out long ago. There's no way to rationally explain how we survived throughout the generations for thousands of years in exile, with nothing binding us but our Torah and our connection to Hashem. And we will last forever, Am Yisrael Chai, because just as God is forever, we are forever, because Yisrael v'kutshubrichu kulachad, Israel and God are one. May we finally see that great day when the Orein Sof, the infinite light of God, will be revealed in us and through us and through us to the whole world when the whole world and all the nations of the world will become dwelling places for God's essence. With the coming of Shitzit Kena Bimeva Menu, Amen.